In the current flu season, the predominant influenza virus is the same one that caused a 2009 pandemic, a strain that's caused critical illness and death in young and middle-aged adults. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Tim Uecki, a medical epidemiologist in the Influenza Division of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases. Dr. Uecki has written a perspective article on preventing and controlling influenza with available interventions. Dr. Uecki, can you give us an update? What's been going on for the past few weeks in terms of U.S. influenza activity? Well, influenza activity appears to have peaked nationally during January, but with every influenza season, there's quite a bit of variability within the United States. And so there are some states and some communities in the U.S. that have probably peaked previously, but there are also other areas of the United States that are experiencing pretty significant influenza activity now, and other areas it's possible the season has not peaked yet. So we really expect the influenza season to continue for several more weeks, if not a few more months, in some areas of the U.S. And in terms of severe complications and influenza-related deaths, what do those rates look like? Well, CDC tracks pediatric influenza-associated deaths, and we've been tracking this since 2004. This followed a really severe seasonal epidemic during the 2003-2004 winter. And ever since then, we've been tracking pediatric influenza-associated deaths reported to CDC from state health departments in children aged less than 18 years of age with some laboratory confirmation of influenza. Unfortunately, every year there are children who die from complications of influenza. So far this season, we've had 40 pediatric influenza-associated deaths reported to CDC, but this number, sadly, is certainly going to rise as there are always, unfortunately, children who have such severe complications, and we still have a lot of the season to go. But in contrast, last winter we had 171 pediatric influenza-associated deaths, and there's really variability from year to year. We also track influenza-associated hospitalizations in certain states, and we have a national hospital reporting system looking at laboratory-confirmed influenza hospitalization. This is somewhat of a good indicator of what's going on in the whole country, but does not represent the whole country. And this suggests that in a typical season, we see the highest hospitalization rates for influenza complications in people 65 years and older. The next highest rate is typically in young children aged less than five years. This season, what we're seeing is and there's still a lot more of the influenza season to go, but hospitalization rates for influenza complications have been highest in people 65 years and older, but they've also been quite high in people aged 50 to 64 years of age. And the next highest rate is in young children less than five years of age. So what's really different this year is that we're seeing much more hospitalizations in people 50 to 64 as well as 18 to 49 compared to what we see in a typical influenza season. And this appears to be really the result of this H1N1 PDM09 virus that is really predominating in the U.S. this season. And we have not experienced this since the pandemic back in 2009. And one thing that is pretty clear is that this virus has really not changed much it hasn't changed its antigenic properties since the 2009 pandemic. 
and this strain has been included in the influenza vaccine since the pandemic. So we know that this season to date, there's a very good match between the circulating H1N1 PDM09 virus and the H1N1 vaccine strains and all of the influenza vaccines available this season. You mentioned laboratory testing. What proportion of people with influenza do you think actually undergo diagnostic testing? And then what proportion are treated with antivirals? Well, we really don't know how many people are tested for influenza in the U.S., but most likely that it is a very small number, a very small proportion of all the millions of people that have influenza each year. And the reason for that is most people who get influenza and are symptomatic are just going to stay at home. They're going to stay home from school. They're going to stay home from work. And they're probably not going to get seen by a medical provider for uncomplicated illness. And by that, I mean fever, cough, nasal congestion, sore throat, muscle aches, body aches. But others who do have some complications may go to the emergency room, may get hospitalized, and that's really a small proportion of all people that have influenza. And those people, most of them will be tested for influenza, but not all. Some clinicians may make a clinical diagnosis of influenza and then decide to treat with antivirals or not to treat. But certainly for hospitalized patients, most of them with influenza should be tested. So we really don't have a good number or at least a good idea of all the people with influenza. That's why there have to be a lot of uh, modeling studies, epidemiological studies to really estimate how many people have influenza. But in terms of antiviral treatment, we know that antiviral treatment is most effective when started as soon as possible after people become symptomatic, ideally in the first two days of their illness. But there are observational data to suggest there is some clinical benefit if antiviral treatment is started more than 48 hours after illness onset. And there are even some studies in hospitalized patients to suggest that late treatment with antivirals may still provide some clinical benefits, such as uh, reducing mortality or reducing other complications. But ideally, you want to be treated as soon as possible. And in terms of antiviral treatment, we want to focus on those who are most at risk of severe influenza complications. And those typically are the very young, so very young children, the very old, and persons with certain underlying chronic medical conditions, as well as pregnant women. Now, it's very likely that most people with influenza do not get treated with antiviral drugs. And I think the key there is, first, the patient has to seek medical care promptly. People who are at much greater risk, if they get influenza, for winding up with more severe complications that could lead to hospitalizations or death. We want those people to present early. They don't present early, then there's really no opportunity for early antiviral treatment. But when they do present, the clinician has to suspect influenza and make a diagnosis either clinically or use laboratory tests to diagnose influenza, to confirm influenza. In the outpatient setting, and including in the emergency room setting, probably making a clinical diagnosis and starting empiric antiviral treatment as soon as possible is indicated, particularly for patients at high risk of complications. 
for a hospitalized patient, we really want antiviral treatment to be started as soon as possible, even without waiting for any results of laboratory testing. But there have been studies to suggest that during the influenza pandemic of 2009, that antiviral treatment increased prior to before the pandemic. But unfortunately, there are also data to suggest that after the pandemic, even in the last few years, that antiviral prescriptions, antiviral use has really decreased, including in hospitalized patients. So we really want to get several messages out there. And I think prevention is number one with influenza vaccination. It's not too late to get vaccinated this season. We think the season will continue for several more weeks, if not a few more months. And the second message is, uh, particularly for persons who are at high risk of complications of influenza, to seek medical care as soon as possible once you become sick, get evaluated, and, you know, clinicians really need to consider influenza and start early antiviral treatment, particularly in high-risk patients and hospitalized patients. So I think there's a lot that can be done both by the patient as well as a clinician. You suggest in your article that the current susceptibility to the 2009 H1N1 virus may be attributable to the presence of many people in the country who are previously uninfected and unvaccinated. So do vaccination rates vary depending on the severity of the previous year's influenza season? In the United States, CDC recommends influenza vaccination of all persons six months and older every year. And we really want to focus priority on those at highest risk of complications. But it's pretty clear that vaccination coverage levels vary by age and risk group. And typically, young adults and middle-aged adults are not always getting vaccinated to the levels that we would like. And because in a typical influenza season, again, we focus on very young children, elderly, persons with chronic medical conditions, there are a lot of people 18 to 50 or even 18 to 64 who, although it's recommended for annual influenza vaccination, simply don't get vaccinated. And this does vary from season to season. And since the pandemic, there have been some seasons that have been less severe than others. And we know there's always variability. And yes, if we have a mild season, that may impact people's decisions to get vaccinated in the following season. It's likely that this season being having a more severe impact on young and middle-aged adults compared to the typical influenza season, this could result in more people getting vaccinated in those age groups next season. But we really want to encourage influenza vaccination of, you know, everyone six months and older every year. With regard to effectiveness, you say in your article that recent vaccines have been less effective in elderly people. What accounts for that? We know from influenza vaccine effectiveness studies that people 65 years and older who are at greatest risk of influenza complications have low influenza vaccine effectiveness. And we don't fully understand why that is, but in general, elderly people do not respond to vaccines in general so well. They're less immunogenic. 
their elderly are less likely to have a good immune response to influenza vaccination. So this has been pretty well documented by a number of studies over many years, and clearly this is the highest priority group in terms of preventing complications of influenza every year. It is the elderly who have the highest hospitalization rates and the highest mortality rates from influenza. But there is a new vaccine that's been out for a few years, and it's a so-called high-dose vaccine. It basically has four times the antigen content compared to standard influenza vaccines. And this is approved for persons 65 years and older. The idea is to give higher antigen content to hopefully produce a better immune response in elderly persons, and then we hope that it will be more effective. And studies have suggested that a higher dose vaccine does produce a better immune response in elderly persons. And we're waiting for data on the clinical effectiveness. We hope that this will also improve overall effectiveness for older adults. You say that it's not too late to get vaccinated this year. Beyond that, do you have other recommendations for primary care physicians and pediatricians about how to control and prevent influenza? As long as influenza viruses are circulating in the community, it's not too late to get vaccinated. And typically, the influenza season lasts really through from October through May. And most influenza seasons in the U.S. typically peak in February, January, February. It looks like nationally influenza season has peaked probably in January. But again, there are areas of the U.S. that have not peaked yet and still will experience influenza activity into March and possibly April or later. So it's not too late to get vaccinated. I think from a clinical standpoint, in the outpatient setting and especially in the inpatient setting, definitely observing infection control measures that are recommended by CDC can help prevent the spread of influenza in healthcare facilities. But for the public and providers, I think if you're at high risk for complications, you become symptomatic, you should seek medical care promptly. From the primary care point of view, if you have patients that you're seeing that are at high risk for complications of influenza, uh, really think influenza, start antiviral treatment as soon as possible, and we recommend oral oseltamivir or inhaled zanamivir. There are contraindications depending on age and underlying conditions and so forth, but we recommend early antiviral treatment. And in terms of influenza testing, certainly a hospitalized patient should be tested for influenza, but treatment should not be withheld pending the results of testing. In the outpatient setting, empiric treatment with antivirals can be made with a clinical diagnosis of influenza. And I think we have to encourage high-risk patients to really come in as soon as possible. The other thing is for patients who are not at high risk of complications, so previously healthy people who don't have any underlying medical conditions, non-pregnant women, so forth, if they become sick, they certainly can benefit from an early antiviral treatment. That's up to clinical judgment, but we really want to focus on those who are at the highest risk of complications in terms of getting those patients in to see providers as soon as possible once they become sick. 
and then early antiviral treatment in those patients because there have been a lot of young and middle-aged adults this season who have been hospitalized with severe complications of influenza, developed lower respiratory disease, went into respiratory failure and developed severe acute respiratory distress syndrome. And across the country, adult intensive care units have reported that there are a lot of young and middle-aged adults who are critically ill, requiring mechanical ventilation this season. And that's different than what we typically see during most influenza seasons. Thank you, Dr. Yuecki.